Boy, don't you appreciate Don sharing that story with us today? Isn't that awesome? You know, when we talk about the, the cost of following, you know, sometimes that cost is just that fear of the unknown. We're following him and we don't know what tomorrow's going to look like or what that's going to mean to next year. And that, that in itself can be a cost. You know, I said something like this last week, but I just, I want to say again, as I listen to these stories, I, you know, I just realized that's so important in the church. That, that you and I are building relationships where, where we can share with each other. Hey, what, what's your challenges? What's your opportunities in following the Lord? So that we can pray for one another, encourage one another, give each other good counsel and, and, and just be there to bear that burden sometimes with one another. As I said last week, there's just no model in the New Testament for following, the Christ, for following Christ alone. We do that together. And, and I want to ask you this morning, do you have those kind of relationships in your life? Do you have relationships where, where there's an openness, a readiness to use that relationship to share with each other about how you're following in the Lord and, and what that means to each other and how you help each other do that? Man, the big room is great and we have great celebration and worship, but that's why we're always encouraging. Move to that smaller group, like a life group. And I would encourage, challenge all of our life groups. Is that, what, is that what's happening in your life group? Are, are you using that to build relationships where you can share in the Lord together? Appreciate Don's story and look forward to the weeks ahead of, of hearing some more of those. We're continuing today in our series on the Gospel of Mark. This is our third week in it, although last week is when we kind of started with chapter 1, verse 1, and we saw we were introduced to the identity of Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. And, and right away, Mark anchored that statement in prophecy in verse 2, just so we wouldn't caught up maybe thinking we were, you know, putting titles on Jesus because he was real popular. No, this is, this is not a cultic figure. This is not an issue of popularity, but Jesus comes to us from ancient. He comes to us from eternity. His arrival is the fulfillment of a divine plan. We also took time to look at the, uh, the baptism of Jesus. And remember we said, man, as he's walking down there into the water, well, he looks a lot like a man, doesn't he? He, he looks no different than you and me. How, how would we know the difference? How would we know this is, this is what the Son of God is going to look like? And yet, boy, as he was being baptized, were we not given a revelation of God like we had never seen before? We saw in that moment, a supernatural moment, the triune Godhead. And so we see it's backed up. This person, Jesus, is the Son of God. And as the Son of God, we're, we're, it's gonna, he's worthy of being followed no matter the cost because of his authority, because of his position. But now, folks, while he is worthy for those reasons, and, and this series will continue to develop that, I believe that Mark today wants to show us a different angle, a different kind of reason that you and I would so willingly, so, so joyfully, so sacrificially be ready to follow him, whatever that might mean. You know, as I was coming out of my, my growing up years into adulthood, uh, I became aware, uh, thinking about five different men uh, that I knew it had a very significant influence on my life, were, were a big part of shaping me into, into how I thought, how I did things, what I thought was important. O only one of the five, or one of the five, was an unbeliever. 
and, and that was my high school track coach, Coach Martinez. And uh, Coach Martinez is somebody at a place in life that, that almost held kind of like a Jesus position. I mean, I, I would have followed him wherever, whatever the cost. And I would have done that for much the same reasons. I would have done it because of his authority. I mean, first of all, he was an adult. Do y'all remember that crazy time in life where we thought adults should be respected and, and obeyed? That was just crazy, wasn't it? Uh, so anyway, I, I looked at him. He, he's an adult. He's my coach. He's my coach. He's an authority in my life. I'm, I'm going to do what he, what he says. But not only was he an authority, but, but he had skill. He, he had knowledge. You've got, you know, you've got people in your life. You would, you would do what they say. You would do what they suggested because you know they know what they're talking about. I actually had shared some of this before, uh, but, but Coach Martinez, in a 10-year time period, had 30 high school All-Americans. That means 30 times in 10 years, he had runners finish the season ranked, runners or a relay team finish the season ranked in the top three times in the nation. 11 years in a row, he won the state cross-country title of Texas. Five years in a row, we went to the, the Texas Relays, one of the three largest meets in the country, and we won the 4 by 800 there five years in a row. I mean, you look at that resume and think, okay, the guy, he knows what he's doing, right? You're, you're not going to challenge that. You're, you're going to go along with it. So he was somebody for his authority, for his knowledge that I, I would have done anything he told me. I would have followed him where he said to go. But while those things were very real, they're not really actually the driver behind why I would have done anything he asked. I would have done that because he, because he cared about me. As I came into my senior year and was going through my senior year in high school, Coach Martinez uh, ended up going up into the, into the college ranks and, and coaching at a, at a local university. And uh, so he went from being my immediate coach to now being somebody who was recruiting me and wanting me to come run at that level with him. And uh, I'm about to say something that's going to sound like the opposite or in contradiction of what I just said, but, but I, di- I didn't want to go run for him at that university. I, I mean, when you're, when you're making that decision, you're not just weighing the team and the coach, you're weighing, well, what if I get injured and don't actually run all four years? And what, what if the coach leaves? I mean, there's a variety of things you have to, to measure. And I just, I just didn't want to go to school there. I did want to go to school at Texas A&M. I did want to run for Texas A&M. And so here's this guy I love, I respect, I would do anything for. And yet in that moment, I was, I was rejecting him. I, I rejected him. I, I rejected his offer. I, I, I didn't want to go any further, you might say, with him. And so I, I did go on to, to Texas A&M. And my first year of running at A&M, my freshman year, was just horrible. I, I mean, other things in college were fine, but that part of it could not have been much worse. I, I suppose if I really worked at being bad, it could have been worse. But without trying, it was about as bad as it got. And uh, so along about, we, we were in the spring. It was in the spring of my freshman year, Coach Martinez Remember I said he cared about me and he showed that in a lot of ways through the years. But in the, in the middle of that year, the spring of that year, he calls me up and he says, how are you doing? And uh, I, I begin to explain to him what, what's going on, what's happening. And, you know, he 
can tell pretty quickly I'm, I'm discouraged, I'm, I'm disillusioned, I'm, I'm directionless in my running. And so he says, hey, after we had talked about it, he says, hey, listen, let me do this for you. You have to understand, he was real good at tailoring workouts. He was real good at understanding his runners and he knew me. And he said, listen, here's what I want to do. Let, let me put together about a month worth of workouts for you. And, and we'll talk during the week. We'll see how that's going. Obviously, that's up to you to figure out how you get that you know, combined in with what your coach and what your team is doing. But let me, let me put that together for you. And if you can, he said, I know this is a little bit challenging. This will be a little bit hard. He says, if you can, I want you to come work out with me once a week so that I can see what you're doing, talk to you about what you're doing. And, you know, part of me thought, hey, that's, man, that is exactly what I need. Another part of me thought, I bet the NCAA wouldn't think that was a real cool idea. You know, you don't normally get to be a signed athlete at one university and go work out at another. Well, it gets worse. And so I, I, I do that. I do, make a ch- I do make opportunity to at least once or twice a week go down and work out with him. And after about three or four weeks, he said, uh, he said here, listen, I want to I do something. I, I wanna, he said, you're, you're ready to go. He says, I just want to create an opportunity for you to compete and, and get excited about it. You to compete and, and, and be encouraged and, and feel good about that opportunity. So he said, there's a meet. It's going to be pretty, neat, uh, pretty near where you are. And he said, it's, it's small, inconsequential, won't be a lot of recognition for it. So I want you to come run with us. I'll put you on our, on our team. And I thought, okay, now I'm really sure the NCAA wouldn't shine on that. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's going to be the, the, the wrong thing to do. As a matter of fact, here I'm making this case of how much he cared for you, me. You might be thinking, well, if he cares for you so much, why would he be asking you to do something that's, that's wrong? Uh, and it was, it was wrong. Um, you know, and then I realized, you know, I'm weighing what that would cost to me. Because if I follow him, if I do what he says, that's a, that's a high cost if I get caught. I, I lose my scholarship. I lose my eligibility. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not sure what all I could lose or how long that could last. I know it could be a bad deal. But then I realized, hey, wait a minute. He loses more than I do. I, I lose a year. If, I mean, because if I get caught, guess who else gets caught? He does. That means he loses his job. He, he maybe never gets to coach again, at least at an NCAA level. So I'm thinking, hey, man, he is taking on a lot of cost for, for any cost I might be considering what is weighed for me. And so I'm weighing that out. And the truth of the matter is, folks, I've spent more time trying to explain this to you than I did actually weighing that out. He asked me to do something, and I did it. I, I did it because I knew that's how much he cared for me. And whatever he's, whatever he's asking me to do comes out of that care, comes out of that concern. Now, folks, as we go through this series, Mark is, is introducing us to Jesus and he's, he's pulling this character quality and this story and he's building this thing we call a gospel and, and, and he is revealing Christ to us and he's going to show us the authority of Christ, the position of Christ, the, the skill, the knowledge, the character, all of these things to make, the, to make this case, to build this case that you and I should follow him, whatever the cost might be, willingly, joyfully, sacrificially, that we should follow him. But I believe what Mark wants us to see today is that one who calls us to follow him, no matter the cost, actually cares about you personally. Cares about your life, what you're handling, what you're dealing with. 
Let me show you how, how this is communicated. Would you turn with me this morning to Mark chapter 1? Mark chapter 1, there at the beginning of your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, get to Luke or John, you've gone too far. Mark chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading in verse 32, but kind of in fairness to the text, this section really begins in verse 21. So if I get a little boring during the sermon, go back up and read from 21 on, okay? And, and you'll see a little what I'm getting ready to read to you, verse 21 and following is a little bit more of the same. It's just kind of going through what is going on here. So the section begins in 21. I'm going to pick up in verse 32. Let me begin reading. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city the whole city, I don't know how to understand that any other way to say the, the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon, that's Peter, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, hey, man, every, everybody's looking for you. Where are you? What's going on? There's all kinds of needs. What are you doing? I actually added a whole bunch there. If you're looking at your text thinking, man, my text doesn't say all that. I, I added a little bit. Verse 38. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. You know, you could, you could read these verses that I just read. Go back up to verse 21. You could read these. And it could be just kind of a quick summary of a, a day in the life of Jesus, right? A, a, a week in the life of Jesus. We've just come out of these verses that said, hey, this guy is the son of God. Really? Wow. Well, what does the son of God do? What, what does he do day in and day out? And, and that's what these verses are showing us. Man, he, he travels around from town to town. He, he preaches the gospel. He's healing. He's casting out demons. I mean, there, there's a day in the life. There's a, a week in the life of Christ. And of course, as, as Mark is showing us these stories, he's also showing us, hey, this Jesus, he has authority. He has power over disease. He has authority and power over demons. Hey, that's important to know, isn't it? As I'm following him as the son of God, it's, it's nice to know how he uses his power. Right? Lots of people have power. Lots of people have authority. I guess the question is, what do they do with that power and authority? Because it's not all good, is it? But see, now I know, hey, this son of God that I'm trying to follow, he uses his power and authority for good. He uses it to heal people. Remember, Mark is trying, we already believe he's the son of God. He's trying to embolden that belief. He's trying to strengthen that belief, grow that belief so that we can go on in that belief because sometimes that belief has a cost. And so I see, okay, wow, he uses this for good. That's important to know. That helps me. That, that encourages me. 
Now, folks, these verses we just read, we're going to see these same verses, these same stories being duplicated over and over again all throughout the Gospel of Mark. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come back at another sermon in the future, and we're going to take on a healing. Why is Mark showing this? What is it specifically we need to walk away with, we need to leave, knowing that Jesus can heal diseases? We're going to have another whole sermon on him casting out a demon and what that's all about, what's happening there, and what we take away from that. So even though the passage we just read is about healing and casting out demons, I'm going to come back to that later. Obviously not too much later. It's going to happen this fall. What I want us to see today in this story is is three words. Three words found there in verse 41. Moved with pity. I want us to understand just those three words. And, and to do that, I, I, to, to arri- I want to arrive at the moment that Jesus is at when he's moved with pity. I, I want us to get a fuller understanding of the context of what's going on. So we go back and we see Jesus baptized. He comes out of the waters of baptism. Verse 13 says that the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness and that's where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. So he's gone through this baptism. He's gone through this trial with Satan and now he goes back north. Most of what we just described there in the first part of chapter one, that's happening down around Jerusalem. That's in the southern part of Israel. Some really big things happen in Jerusalem, don't they? Big, big stories happen in Jerusalem. But truth is, Most of his life and most of his time is not down in Jerusalem. It's up around the Sea of Galilee. Nazareth is right there around the Sea of Galilee. That's his hometown. That's where he grew up. As he leaves the baptism and leaves leaves the trials with Satan, he goes back to Capernaum. That's on the north end, the north shore uh, of the Sea of Galilee there. And that is where most of his ministry is going to be. And now he kind of formally and officially begins his ministry and to say he was an overnight sensation is like a huge understatement. I I don't know what word would make it bigger than that, but he is wildly popular. If you look at verse 22, it says that people were in awe of his teaching and man, the the, the knowledge he has, how he communicates and man, he speaks and it just meets needs and, and so people are coming to hear him. Then you pick up in verse 32 where I started reading and obviously we've already seen, man, he's healing people's diseases. He's casting out demons. He's meeting demons. Deep needs in people's life. And the more deep needs he meets, guess what happens? The more people who come to him to have those needs meet. You need to picture here, not not dozens, picture hundreds, picture thousands of people constantly, day in and day out, they are in his face. And I mean that physically. They are physically in his face. They're touching him. They're grabbing him. They're saying, look at me, help me, see me. They're just constantly there. Now, I'm pointing that out, folks, for for this reason. You know, as we go throughout this, a lot of what we're focusing on, a lot of what we're trying to see is his deity, right? Man, I want to know Jesus as the son of God. That's what really is going to make it worth following him. And that's, that's what we do a lot in the church. We're really focused on his deity. But he is a man eternally he is the son of God. But as he entered this world through the virgin birth, he put on humanity. So at this point, he's not, it's not that he's a little bit God and a little bit human. No, he is 100% God. He is 100% human. And in that humanity, he feels, he experiences what you and I feel and experience in this body, what we feel and experience in this world. The, the gospel stories, stories will tell us things like he, he got tired. 
Okay, you wouldn't think of God getting tired, but in his humanity, Jesus got tired. He got thirsty. It says that right there in the scripture, good memory verse. He got thirsty. He got hungry. Now, with that being the case, in his humanity, I'm just trying to imagine at this point with these verses we've read, would not Jesus just have to be exhausted? I mean, I, there's got to be some preschool moms in here that understand what I'm talking about. I mean, by dinner time every day, you're just right there, right on the edge of sanity. You know, you got one, two, three little ones up under you constantly. You and you alone need to help me, take care of me, protect me. You're the sole source of everything and I need it right now. Man, that, that's draining. Some of us have jobs that, that put us in a position where we have to be very responsive to others, responsible for others. And when you're having to engage folks like that all the time, it is, it's draining. It's tiring. Folks, we're not, we're not talking about preschoolers. We're not talking about a team of 12 people he's responsible for. He has thousands in his face 24-7 wanting him to meet their need, give him time, do his work, do what he does, do that in my life. Do you feel what he's carrying here, what he's dealing with? As a matter of fact, as we arrive right in the middle of the story... We arrive at verse 35, and this is really interesting when you stop and just kind of pick out a few of the words. And the scene, it's almost comical what's being described here. It says in verse 35, it says, very early in the morning. Now, it it doesn't say what time, so I don't know what very early is. But clearly, do you get the picture as you read verse 35 and following? He's trying to get alone, isn't he? Do you, do you pick that up? I, I actually, I don't want to. I don't want to be with y'all right now. I want to be alone. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get up real early. Okay. Now lots of people get up early. Okay. He's clearly trying to move in a way that nobody sees him. I don't know what early is here. I'm thinking maybe it's four or five in the morning. You know, before anybody else starts stirring. And it doesn't say that he got up at four or five in the morning and he went out and sat at the kitchen table or or that he went out and sat on the patio to watch the sunrise. What does it say? He went to a what? A desolate. Desolate means by itself, removed, far away from everything else. Now, I don't know what that means in relation to Capernaum and where he is. It would seem to me he got up, he walked out of town, and I don't know how far he walked, a half a mile Two miles to where, to where he feels like, okay, I'm all alone so that he can have this time, so that he can have this moment with God. Wow, folks, I feel like we could just almost stop right here and just start over a whole new sermon. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, that's not what you're going to do, is it? No, it's not. But let's just, a few seconds right here. Folks, if Jesus in his humanity, if Jesus in his deity craves this time and this moment with God, the Father, What in the world does that say about you and me? What in the world does that say that you and I need? And we know that. We'll say, yeah, I know, I know. Man, I'm supposed to be praying. I'm supposed to spend time in God's word every day. I know, I know I need to do that. And I I intend to do that. I really do intend to do that. You know, I'm I'm tired. I can't wake up. I've got, you know, once I do get up, the day's running. I've got so much to do. I'm I'm stressed out. And so I I don't end up spending that time. Now, we don't actually verbalize that sentence, do we? But it's in effect, it's how we end up living a lot of the time. Man, if we, if we could ever grasp that when you get up early, you're not going to be more tired. 
that when you add this, it's not another addition to the chores and things you have to do that day. Folks, it is getting up and being with God that empowers your ability to take on the rest of the day. It is getting up and being with God that gives you wisdom and discernment for the rest of the day. That's not the part that is stressing you out. That's the part that helps you take on all the stress. Okay, the sermon's over because I gotta get back to the one you want me to finish. So he gets out there and, he be, and he's alone. And again, this is just comical because Mark is saying he got up very early. He went and sought a desolate place. And I don't know how much longer it is, 30 minutes, five minutes, two hours later. I don't know, but what's the next line say? Here comes Simon, here comes Peter, and the, and the, hey, Jesus, hey, are you, where are you? Jesus, man, everybody's back here asking for you. Man, there's all kinds of needs. Now, folks, let's stop and just do some quick math. Let's say, and I won't even make it super early. Let's make it 5 a.m. Some, some of you here, 5 a.m., that is super early. Try it, it's awesome. There's uh, somebody important said there's gold in the morning. I don't know who it was. Did Ben Franklin say that? Well, he did now. So anyway, (laughs) Jesus is up. He's at five o'clock in the morning. Remember, he's going out to a desolate place. Let's just say it took him a half an hour to get there, okay? He got up at five. He walked out to this place. It's 530. And let's say he was out there. Obviously, you know, I'm making all this up, right? But let's say he's out there for 45 minutes, okay? So now 45 minutes later, that would make it, I forgot my... 5.30, it'd be 6.15. Okay, so it's 6.15. So then here comes the disciples. Hey, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. Okay, rewind. If he walked 30 minutes outside of town, then that means how long did the disciples walk to find him? 30 minutes also. That means the disciples left town at 5.45. Why did they leave town? Because everybody was looking. Really? At 5.45 in the morning? Everybody's looking for, do you see what I'm saying? Are you feeling the crowd? Are you feeling the need that is constantly following him, constantly on top? Are, are, you, are you feeling the selfishness? And I, I don't actually mean that in, a, like in an incredibly negative way. But do you feel the selfishness? They're not following him from town to town to praise him as God. They're not following him from town to town to say, teach me, show me. How do I effectively follow you? How do I obey you and and never have a miss again? That's not why they're following him. They're following him. Meet my need. See me. Take care of me. And look at Jesus' response. He says, hey, guys, that's that's not what we're going to do today. That's what I've been doing. And obviously, as we go on in Mark, we're going to see that he continues to do that. But he says to him, he says, you know what? That's that's not what we're going to be about today. I've got to get back to the bigger and more important thing. Now, that word more important, that's tough. Because when you say more important, that implies that their needs were unimportant. No, it doesn't. He did not just say, hey, whatever those people are looking for is unimportant. He didn't say that. He said, I've got to get back to the thing that I've been called here to do. You see, I can spend the next three years just healing every single person I need, see, meeting needs, taking care of whatever those physical things are. But, but if I leave this place and I've not shared with you that God loves you, I've not shared with you that you're not in right standing with them, but God's done a work so that you can be in right standing with them. As a matter of fact, not only right standing, but in a loving relationship where he will adopt you as his very own child and you will spend eternity with him in heaven. See, that's the message. 
that's the work I'm here to do. That's what I've got to get out. And if I don't get that out, it doesn't matter what else I do to help somebody to meet their need. So he says, guys, we gotta, we've got to move on. We've got to go to these other towns and I've got to get back to the task of preaching. And that is what is going on when we arrive at verse 40. Now, I'm not, I'm not implying, and I don't think the passage does, that verse 40 happened that morning. That, that this is all happening in, a, in that time span. What, what I do think Mark is doing is he is showing us this is a day in a life. This is the, a week in the life. It's constantly people in his face saying, serve me here. Do this, do this, do this. Jesus is doing it. Man, he loves people. He meets people's needs. But, hey, I got to go on with this. And then we arrive at verse 40. Mark places it there, I think, strategically. And what do we see in verse 40? We see this guy walk up and say, man, if you can, if you can heal me. And he's a leper. I mean, folks, think about how bad it is to be a leper. We don't even really have that anymore. And we still have a saying, man, everybody's treating him like a, a leper. What's that mean? They're, they're an outcast. Man, they're, they're an untouchable. Nobody wants to be around them. And you, you didn't touch them. Very communicable disease. Very bad thing going on here. As a matter of fact, it's not just that you didn't want to touch a leper. It's that there was laws keeping them out of town. They weren't even allowed to be around people. I mean, that's where you were truly an outcast. And But what's it say? It says Jesus what? Touches them. You know, there's a great story in the Gospels. This guy comes, hey, could you heal my kid? My kid's about to die. Could you heal them? And Jesus says, man, yeah, absolutely. Go home and be better. Another guy comes, hey, one of my, one of the, one of my people that works for me, they're, about to, they're real sick. Could you? Yeah, go home. They'll be healed. Folks, Jesus doesn't even need to be in the same town to heal somebody. He does not need to touch this leper. But what does he do? He touches him. He touches him. Now, now, folks, you know, as we try to understand what's going on here and, and what's happening inside of Jesus, I want to make a statement that is a, it, it, it's not a real accurate statement. It's not a good statement. It, it miscommunicates, but it's the only way I know how to communicate my point. Is that, am I communicating? That makes sense? What, what I mean is you, you have to be careful about casting our emotions and our experiences onto God because that, that can communicate something that's not true about God. For instance, I could say God is busy. Now, if you hear me say I'm busy, you hear me saying a lot of times I'm too busy for, I'm too busy for you. I don't have time for you. I'm busy. Doing, or maybe I'm not saying I'm too busy for you. I'm just, man, I got a lot to do. I'm overwhelmed. I'm stressed. Maybe I'm saying, hey, I'm busy. Could you pray for me? You know, it's a bad thing. Well, folks, that, to, to say that about God would be to cast God in a completely wrong light. God is never too busy for you. God is never overwhelmed and going, oh, my, am I going to get it all, all done today? That, that's, God's never even had an inkling of a moment like that. Okay, but I'm, I'm seeing Jesus in his humanity in this passage. I'm seeing everything that is coming at him. And I'm also seeing him say, we need to, we need to move on. And then we see this leper. So let me see. You, you understand that this is not completely right, what I'm going to say, but it, I think it communicates. Let's try it. Okay, when God is busy, I'm not saying God's busy. Y'all got that? Go ahead, tweak. Randy said God's busy. No, don't do that. When God is busy, now watch this, folks. This comes right out of the text. When God is busy and your problem is not his purpose. When what you need done in your life, that's not what I'm doing today. That, that's not what I'm, and that kind of what we're feeling as we go from verse 39 into verse 40. 
even then, even then, if you could cast God in this kind of worst case scenario, if you could wrap God up in your stress, in your busyness, and I can't get it, even if we could cast God in that light, even in that moment right there, he cares about you. When he has just said, that's not what we're doing, he is, he is moved. That word moved with pity. That word pity, it can be translated pity. It can be translated compassion. But here's the crazy thing. It can be translated anger. So that seems awfully different. What this word is trying to communicate is a deep gut emotional response. In other words, as this, as this man, one more need out of the thousand... One more thing, maybe to keep me off of what I really need to be doing today. Jesus isn't going, okay, hurry, come on, come on, come on. Yeah, boom, there, you're done, let's go. It's not that Jesus is just willing to heal, just willing to relent and take one more problem. No, folks, Jesus is actually having this deep gut, emotional response, and he is moved by this man and what he's feeling. I bet almost every one of us in here at one time or another thought, I, I feel stupid even asking this for prayer. I mean, I know there's people dealing with such bigger problems than me. I know there's such more horrible things. I mean, it, you know, in, in my little thing, my little world, my little quest seems so small. No, in that moment right there, he's moved by you. I mean, this, this guy comes to him and he says, if. Now, he's got faith. You can't say the guy doesn't have faith. He, he had faith to get up and go to Jesus, right? He, he, he obviously believed Jesus. He's been hearing the stories people have been talking. He, hey, I can, I, there's actually somebody I can go to and say, could you heal my leprosy? I, if, if you will. I mean, I don't know what you're really like. I don't know if you're going to touch a leper, see a leper. I don't, I, I, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know if you'll do that for me. So there's faith, kind of. And yeah, in that moment, in a kind of faith, Jesus was moved Man, folks, when, when we're busy in sin, when, when, when we're busy in our rejection of God and doing our own thing, when, when we're busy trying to figure things out ourselves, we don't really know how to put God into this or understand God's, we don't have much of a faith, but, but something, we take a step, we begin to move toward God. You know, in that moment, folks, He's moved by you, He's moved deep down. It moves him emotionally when you and I do that. Well, folks, we should absolutely follow him, whatever the cost, because of his authority, because of his position, his skills, knowledge. But he cares about you. You and I could, should, would follow him because he cares about me like, like nobody else. Now, let me try to wrap this up. Let's, let's bring it home and see if I can make sense of this story that I told in this passage and why this idea of, of him caring is so important. Okay, I've, I've got a scale here. Okay, that's what my hands are right now. And, and you realize when the scale gets heavy, it goes down, right? Y'all look, look confused. Okay, scale, I put something on it and poof, it goes down, right? Okay, so, so here I am, Coach Martinez, and, and I love this man. He means a lot to me. And the best I can tell, I mean a lot to him. And he cares about me. And that, that whoops, this way. And that, and that weighs a lot. But, but then he comes along and he asks something 
well, I, di I didn't see that coming along. I, I didn't see that request coming. And wow, this, this request costs a lot. If this doesn't work out, if I get caught, wow, I lose a lot. You know what? That, this, this whole thing I'm doing up here didn't happen at all. There was, no, there was no big wang because you see, folks, the weight of his concern for me was so much greater than anything he asked. I didn't consider anything he asked to be too heavy. In my point in saying this, folks, as we go throughout this series, as we look at what happens to believers during the day of Christ, as, of course, we've talked about, we introduced this series talking about what's happening to believers in Rome. We've talked about what's happening to believers today in Iraq and in Syria with, with ISIS. And, hey, you know what? Sometimes that belief that Jesus is the Son of God, it has a cost. But I, I sure don't want to leave us with the idea that, oh my gosh, how are we, how are we going to go? Boy, it can, it, can, it can weigh so much. It can cost so much. It can be so difficult and so, so challenging to try to follow Christ. But oh, if, if we can just see that he's worth it. He's, he's worth this horrible, awful weight we're going to have to carry. No. That's not at all what Mark or, or I, we're not trying to, no matter how bad it gets, oh, he's worth it. No, what we're trying to see is that there is a God who so incredibly, so deeply loves you, who is so moved by you and your life and what you're carrying. Folks, I think there's quite possibility we arrive at a faith and a relationship with God that when that cost comes... We just follow. The cost isn't the issue. The cost isn't what we're weighing. The Son of God is moved by you. Mark wanted you to know that today. Let's pray. God, would you help us to believe that? Every one of us lives in a world, Lord, where sometimes it's the circumstances, sometimes it's Satan, sometimes it's our own doubts, but Lord, we're putting things together and, and we can't see you, we can't hear you, we can't tell you're there, we can't tell that you care. Lord, may our faith grow deep in your word where clearly today you were trying to tell everybody in this room, and Lord, you knew they would arrive here. You knew they'd arrive here on September 20th with the week they've been through, with the things they're going through right now to hear you say, I do see you. I do care about you. Oh God, the thought and the concept, you're this big God running this big universe and all that's entailed in that, and you're actually moved by what's going on in my life, and it's irrelevant how it compares to what's going on in somebody else's life. You're moved. Thank you for showing me. Thank you for showing us that, Lord. And I pray that understanding would become a driver in how we weigh following you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.